and thanks for listening in. Welcome to Leading Well, where we get to know leaders and how they make it happen. I'm your host, Tim Davis. And I'm his co-host, Alyssa. And let's welcome our guest today, Colm Willis. Colm, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, Tim? Yeah, I, uh, I, I realized that uh, I've been pronouncing your first name incorrectly for many years. It's actually Colm. It's like right? a column in a building. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I've just kind of made it one syllable, but I yeah. uh, apologize for that. I answer to that as well. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm I've not been particular. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, maybe let's just start with uh, what do you do? What is a commissioner and dad, father, husband, whatever? So. Wow. Well, those are sort of different jobs. Yeah, let's start with the work. Yeah. Yeah, as a commissioner, um, I work with two other commissioners. There's three of us, Danielle Bethel and Kevin Cameron and myself. And together, we act kind of like the governor of Marion County. So there's 350,000 people in Marion County, and we're responsible for all of our county roads. We're responsible for the jail. We're responsible for uh, public safety. We have a big health department responsible for mental behavioral health as well as public health. Um, And in general, it's our job to advocate for the people in Marion County. Yeah, yeah. Boy, sounds like just a 10-hour-a-week job to me. Yeah, How about you, know, you Alyssa? No, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a working job. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what was life like growing up? What did that look like to you? It was good. I, I had a very loving family. I was raised um, with parents who who cared about me and um, brought me up with um, really good values. Um I, my parents met at Mount Angel, so that's sort of, we spent a lot of time at Mount Angel. My dad worked for Intel, so I, I grew up kind of in the Portland area, and um, I always kind of didn't feel right in Portland, to be honest. It just uh, it never felt like a good fit for me, and um, Mount Angel sort of always was the place where it was like, when I grow up and I can pick where I'm going to live, I'm going to go move to Mount Angel. That was in my head. Um, but by the time it was time to go to college... Um, you know, I was just ready to get out. I, I really didn't like Portland. I didn't, I didn't, I don't know. I just didn't like the culture there, the feel. It was a very materialistic place, frankly. Mm. Um, and so I picked the school as far away from home as possible. And I went to, to Boston College for school. And I really didn't have any intention of coming back. I, I thought I was gone, you know, forever. Right. Um, yeah. And, uh, and I got a, a good education there and, and I grew up a lot. Um, but yeah, it, it, I'm, I'm very grateful to, I don't live in Mount Angel, I now live in Staten, um, but I'm very grateful that, uh, you know, I was, God allowed me to come back home and, and to find a place in Oregon that feels much more like where I belong. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. Staten's cozy. My parent, my mom lived there for a while, so. Yeah. It's a really, really neat place. I feel blessed to be there. Yeah. Yeah. What was, uh, looking back, what was the first thing you feel like you recognized passion for? I loved soccer. Soccer. I'm a big soccer okay. guy, okay. and um, and my parents are not sports people at all, like okay. not at all. Sure. And so, you know, I've talked to people whose parents, like you know, signed them up for all the teams, made them practice. Like my dad, I don't even think he came to one of my games. <laughs> I never felt bad about it. It wasn't like something right. that I like. I don't hold any ill will. Um, in fact, I kind of liked it because I'd have friends whose dads were like yelling at them or whatever, and like I was like, at least he cares, you know. <laughs> um, I my neighbors played, and so we would just after school every day. I'd go and play soccer just for fun, and then I eventually kind of got into competitive soccer, and I, it was just a, a passion for me. My best friends played soccer; it was just something that I I did a lot growing up. So. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, I played for eight years. Uh, we went undefeated my senior year or whatever. But, oh, that's uh, pretty great. Yeah, but uh, anyway, um, you know when you 
we do a lot of assessments within our staff and our volunteers around uh, maybe personality and makeup and that type of stuff. But one of those basic ones is, do you consider yourself an extrovert or an introvert? I'm definitely an extrovert. Um, One thing, though, that I learned, so I was working on a campaign out in Kansas, and I knocked on 30,000 doors personally. Like, I personally knocked 30,000 doors to this campaign. And at the end of the campaign... I closed the door to my room, I turned off my phone, and I didn't talk to anybody for 48 hours. And it was the first time that I had genuinely gotten to the point where I didn't want to see another human person <laughs> in my life. But but I got over that, and, and now I'm back to being an extrovert. Oh, man. That's good. Yeah. Uh, how about, like, you have any routines in your life that, you know? Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I... Um, I would say prayer is an important part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to pray every morning, um, and then I try to set aside uh, about 45 minutes to an hour for prayer every Tuesday morning just by myself. Um, mm. And I'll actually go to a church, and I'll go spend some time. Um, no music, no noise, just just me and God. So I would say mm-hmm. that, that's a pretty important routine for me. Um, try to get to church on Sunday with my family. That's an important routine. Um yeah, those are those are kind of the yeah. bedrocks. The rest of my routines uh, really are about the kids. You know, right. like like I have I have a bunch of kids at home and six um, to be exact. Six yeah. to be exact. Right. And my five oldest are all girls. And the best moment of my day is I walk in the door and I hear this pitter patter of feet. You know, and then Daddy's home, and they come running from all over, and they all like hug me oh, all at the same man. time. It's like the best. Yeah. And so by that time, my wife is usually ready for me to take over the childcare yeah. in the house. <laughs> She's like gladly. <laughs> yeah, and so. We have kind of a routine where we do dinner and then I read to them and then I say prayers. They get in Jamie's teeth and and I do kind of the bedtime routine. So that's a pretty good routine. Yeah. 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 As a staff, we were just talking about that, how, you know, you may not be able to predict what time you wake up, but you you can control what time you go to bed. That's true. And and it's a healthy habit to get enough sleep, right? Yeah, that's true. That's good. Yeah. And I think uh, those routines are a little bit missing in our American parenting culture uh, a little bit. You know, uh, yeah. on the valor mentoring side, we see a, a lot of that, uh, you know, lacking routine and, and so on. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. You mentioned uh, being an extrovert. Was, was that different for you when you were younger? Because for me, um, I thought I was an extrovert 100%. And then I hit like in mid-college, I had this realization that I'm like definitely not as 100% extrovert as I thought I was. Um, and I, sat, I found a lot of like rejuvenation in being alone. Was it different for you when you were younger or do you think you've just always been extroverted? Uh, well, when I define extrovert, I get energy from being around people. Yes. So my wife is the opposite. Sure. My wife gets tired. Like, like she likes people. She likes being around people. But by after, you know, a couple hours with our friends, mm-hmm. she's tired. You know, yep. I'm kind of the opposite. So if I spend time with people, I get I get jazzed up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's how I define it. That doesn't mean that I always I'm like, oh, boy, I can't wait to have another party, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> and in my line of work, you know, it's it's probably one of the harder things is it's just meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting. And so days that are like that um, can be very draining. But I think it's more um, the questions we're being asked because of the position mm. that we're in. People are asking us to make decisions that can really impact our community and if there's a bit of pressure with that, you know, mm-hmm. if I make a mistake, people get harmed sort of thing. So um, if you were to say, hey, you have one meeting where you have to make an important decision every day, I could get up for it. I could focus on it. I could get it done. But when you have like, you know, five or six mm-hmm. meetings, yeah, um, trying to keep that mental uh, alertness and focus that long can be very draining. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because yeah, being around people that are like your friends and you're hanging out is a different totally type different. of feeling. Yeah. Totally different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Well, I know you to be one of the smartest people I know, too. And so that's got to be helpful. You're a very intelligent guy. You know? I appreciate so. that. I, I think I heard this, somebody else say this, that um, I'm one of these people that gets excited about learning. Mm-hmm. And the world and the universe is way bigger than um, any of us can even know in a lifetime. And so I think there are people who uh, sit around and think about how much they know. And there are people who sit around and think about how much they don't know. And I hope to be in the latter category. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I, I like people who are curious people. I like people who love learning. I think it's really um one of the more fun things in life is to learn new things. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, how about uh, how about music? Like, is there genres that you listen to, or sure, a music guy? Or? Yeah. So um, I play Irish music. Okay. So my family's uh, ethnically Irish. My my dad's from New York, um, but my grandparents were Irish immigrants, and so we still have connections in Ireland. So um, music was really important to me because my brothers and I would fight a lot growing up. And music was what brought us together. So we all learned to play Irish music together. And um, so I would say that's sort of my my go-to. I've expanded a little bit beyond Irish music because I've gotten older into like bluegrass and, and okay. kind of American folk. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of where my heart is. There you go. Have you ever taken your kids to Enchanted Forest? Uh, we go every year. Because I bet <laughs> yeah. that music is like feature. So I have a friend who plays on that. And I think that it's right? Irish music, I just I learned about it. Yeah, yeah I just so, learned about that band. Yeah, my friend yeah. yeah, my friend plays in that band, a couple of my friends, and they, and they may love it. And it's good music. So yeah, yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. How about... Um, when was the first time you saw yourself as a leader? That's actually kind of a hard question mm. to answer because um, I, I think of leadership a little bit like humility, where if you aim at it, you don't get there. Mm. But if you aim at serving the people that are entrusted to you, then leadership can happen. Right? Mm-hmm. Kind of like you meet the person who says, I'm the humblest person in the world, and immediately you know they're not. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The person who's like, I'm the best leader in the world, immediately you're like, eh, probably not the best <laughs> leader in the world, probably right? Not. So um, I think what was interesting to me, I guess most recently, is I had this experience where I won the election to be county commissioner. And, you know, I never been in that position before. I didn't really know what to expect. And it was interesting to me that a lot of the folks who, who work for the county, there's about 1,700 employees, just because I was elected didn't necessarily mean that they viewed me as someone that they should follow or be inspired mm. by or care what I thought or anything like that. And, and, I, and there was a moment there where they were sort of evaluating me where I, I had gotten sworn in. I was doing the job, but I definitely felt like a bunch of the employees were like, is this somebody that we're going to listen to or is this somebody that we're going to wait till they're gone in four years, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was really, that was interesting. You know, I, I didn't really know, know what to expect there. And then um, I became the chair of the county in 2020 and I had no idea what I was walking into. That was the year where, you know, the oh, COVID geez, shutdowns yeah. happened and we had riots during the summer in the city of Salem for the first time ever. Um, and then we had this horrible wildfire in the canyon. Um, and during that time, I was not sitting around thinking about being a leader 
I was mm. just trying to execute. So just mm. every day there were new questions, there were new problems, there were people suffering, and I was trying to allocate the county's resources and direct the staff in a way that we would be there to serve um, the people of Marion County mm-hmm. in different ways. And what was, what's been um, really uh, humbling and, and uh, an incredible experience afterwards was to have people come up to me and thank me personally. So um, there'll be times where I'll be on the elevator and I'll have an employee, you know, say, hey, um, you know, I just want to thank you for standing up to the governor when she was going to force everybody to get the vaccines, even though, you know, I'd already gotten COVID three times and I didn't think it was necessary. You know, we were thinking that, you know, we'd have to choose either my job or to get this. And you stood up for us. And and, mm-hmm. and it just was such a big day for our family when we got that letter from the county saying, you know, you're not going to fire us based on our vaccination status. Um, or having people, I stood in the the ruins of, you know, one of my friend's homes, you know, burned in the fire and having her hug me and um, cry on my shoulder and thank me for all that we do. I mean, I think that's where you sort of, um, I don't know, recognize that the work that you did matters to the people that you serve. And I think Mm. that's, um, I guess that's all you can ask for. Yeah. And then just, it's fortunate to be able to do things that you feel matter or or do matter, right? I mean, like stuff like that. It really affects the short term and long term viability for families, for our community, and uh, in a small way, we feel like at Valor that that's our portion of what we do, right? Is for to get sure upstream and and help people in some areas of their lives, and then as that goes downstream, it helps everything from their work ethic, their ability to get a job and pay taxes, and you know, yeah. be a good citizen, and and so on. And so, I think we're you know. It, you, I, Alyssa, and a bunch of folks are are fortunate to be able to do something that I get. I'm excited every day to 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 get a chance to do what I'm doing. You know. Well, and I yeah. think it's true of everybody. So you know, I think most of us can look around right now and be like, things aren't in a good place. You know, it seems like the state hasn't been heading in the right direction. You know, the country hasn't been heading in the right direction. Um, but I don't think it's because. American self-government doesn't work. I think it's because you have people, unfortunately, in the schools and in government and the media telling people not to participate, telling people, let somebody else do it, right? And and then the attitude becomes, this is bad, somebody should do something about that, mm. rather than the attitude being, this is bad, I should do something about that. And right. And this country started with the idea that everybody has responsibility for everybody, that as a community, we all have to come together and decide what kind of community we want to be, how we're going to govern ourselves, how we're going to take care of each other. What does it mean to allocate resources justly, you know? Um, and I think that that culture, that really needs to be taught at the very beginning, you know, when kids, to kids as young as, you know, five, six, seven, like to, to teach people that this is your community. You're mm-hmm. responsible for it. You have a place in it and you have a role to play and we need you. We need right. you, right? Nobody's nobody's irrelevant. Nobody's right. a throwaway person. Everybody has dignity. And um, our community needs your gifts and your talents, and we need you to contribute and to take responsibility for this community. And when, when we've seen that happen in this country, it's phenomenal, right? right. We've had wonderful periods of time. But when, when you have a, a 
too many people say, well, stuff is bad. Someone should fix that rather than taking responsibility for it. Then you get kind of the mess that we're in right now. And, and I think part of the reason why Marion County is in better shape than Portland, frankly, is because we still have a lot of people around here who do take responsibility for our community. Right. And, and that's, that's why we're, we're not as bad off as, as what we see to the north of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Um, switching subjects real quick, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. And so uh, um, uh, what's, a, what's an idea that uh, we like to say, what's, what's the, one of the better ideas you ripped off? Like you, you, you saw it and implemented it, right? You know, because we, we do a lot of that around here. We already see something working. We don't need to reinvent the wheel, right? Yeah. The one that jumps to mind is kind of what we were just talking about. So when I was in college, I read Alexis de Tocqueville's Democracy in America and, um, you know, basically his question, the reason he, he was a French guy who came to America to study American democracy, Republican government. And the reason is because uh, they were having trouble in France, right? So after the monarchy fell, uh, they basically had a series of dictators, essentially, right? And so he was sort of like, why does it work in America but not work in France, right? Mm. And he came to America and, you know, he writes at length about the townships in Massachusetts, and he's he's astonished that unlike in France, the people all come together and basically decide what's going to happen in the town. So they'll have these meetings at the city hall and every person in this township is there and they're all like, OK, who's going to be the sheriff this year? Because, you know, somebody has to do it <laughs> and whoever does it, all the rest of us have to take care of their farm for them. Because they have to feed their family still, right? So if they're running around catching the bad guys, then that means that the rest of us have to help them with their farm. And then next year, somebody else's turn. And, you know, they're going to be the sheriff and the rest of us. And sort of like they're chopping up the jobs and who's going to fight the fires and who's going to, you know. And uh, his, his conclusion was, this is why American democracy works. Because from a young age, they're taught to do it at the township level. Their local community comes together. They're taught to be in charge of their own community. They're taught to work together with their neighbors to ensure the security of their their community, to ensure Mm. um, kind of that everybody's taken care of in their community. And so when you send somebody like that to Congress, they take all those lessons Mm. that they learned growing up about what self-government means to Congress with them. And I, and so my, you know, when I became a commissioner, I sort of had this thought of like, I think this is still true. I I still think this is it. And what I've seen is that it absolutely is true that, that, um, you know, in the Canyon, part of the reason the rebuild has been so successful in the Canyon compared to other places that are burned is because you have a whole bunch of people there who still have this attitude that this is our place. I'm responsible for it. I'm not going to wait for the government to do it. You know, I am the government sort of is their attitude. Right. Right. And um, so I think that's been something that that uh, I definitely didn't come up with myself. But but I I wasn't sure if it was still true or not. And I've been encouraged to see that it is true. And where I see our system breaking down or our community breaking down, our government breaking down, it's normally because you have a group of people that weren't taught how to take care of their own community. They were taught that it was somebody else's job. They sort of are phoning it in, mm. you know, and, and I don't blame those people for that. I blame their teachers and their coaches and kind of like what you were talking about earlier. Why is mentorship so important? Because these are all learned behaviors, right? Like nobody comes out knowing <laughs> exactly. how to, how to make a community work. You have to be taught that, right? Uh, you have to be taught to, to take responsibility, work with other people. Um, and so I think that's, 
one of many ideas, but most of sure. most of the ideas that I pursue are not original. I, I'm definitely on the hunt. I'm constantly looking around and seeing like right. who's got a good idea and, and yeah. how can we implement that. I mean, you said you're a learner, right? So that makes sense. And yeah. um, you talk about taking things that you learned that you've kind of applied it with people who move up in in leadership in the, the governmental level. You learn community mindedness, and then you apply that as you keep getting older, um, and you move on up, right? What uh, I mean, you know, you're only 36, but what would you what would you say to your 21 year old self, for, you know, if you were speaking to him? You know, when I became a commissioner, my dad gave me this plaque, and it says, "A good start is half the work." And I remember, like, I don't, you know, what do I think about that, you know? But I look back on it, and the first year of being commissioner, well, the first two years, because 2020 was really hard. Yeah. Um, but the first, you know, the first two years were the hardest part, you know, and part of it is um, there's just so much to learn. You know, mm. like when you're in school every year, like the curriculum is lined out for you. They know exactly what they want you to learn. You like check all the boxes and then like and what happens is you get to a place, whether it's after you leave high school or after you leave college and you realize there's no more rule book. There's no more. Like then you do mm-hmm. X. It's it's wide open. Um, the whole world now, it's unstructured, and you have to kind of go make your way and make decisions. And um, and I think there are some people who um, they view that as oh good, I no longer have to do any more work. They were mm-hmm. making me do all this work for years and years and years, and now I can just relax for the next yeah. you know couple years. And I think I would tell myself, I would talk to myself, I would say, don't fall into that trap, you know, that, you know, a good start is half the work. So when you are coming out of high school or college, it's not that you have to kill yourself, but, but I do think you should try different things. One of the things that I, I'm grateful to my dad is he wasn't one of these people that was like, you have to know what your career is as soon as you're out of school and you have to, mm. you know, it's like, no, you're, you're 19 or you're 21. Like, there's lots of things you have to go try, mm-hmm. but you should be trying them with the hope, the intent that you're going to get good at something over time. That something that you're going to, what you're looking for is you're looking for something that you can spend a decade or two decades or three decades doing. Because the conclusion I've come to is anything that really matters as far as making an impact in your community takes decades it doesn't take months you know and i think especially when you go from school where you work for nine months you're off for three months you know you kind of it's, it's very temp- temporary mm-hmm. to kind of shift into a if i really care about something i need to be willing to to bet a decade of my life or two decades of my life on that mm-hmm. and um I think that's that's the advice I would give is is that's what you're looking for. You're looking for what is something that I can go spend, um, you know, and that's there's, there's always like this fight over is it good advice or bad advice when people say do what you love, right? And I think, you know, it's all about how you define love, right? Mm-hmm. If if it's like, well, I love skydiving, I'm going to do that. It's like, well, okay, that's not that's not, <laughs> not a good interpretation. Not a lot inter- of people make a living doing that's that. That's not a yeah. good interpretation, right? But if but if by love what they mean is something that you're passionate about that you can bet a couple of decades of your life on, um, then yeah, that's kind of what you're doing. You're trying to look for something that you can bet your life on, and uh, and I I think that's fun. 
I think that's mm. worth doing, mm. you know, and that's that's it's kind of like a, a search for treasure, right? Where it's like the world's very complicated. There's lots of places that don't fit for you. But rather than being kind of down by that or depressed by that, like it should be it should motivate you to keep looking, mm. you know, and to keep keep yeah. knowing that confidence that, you know, if if you didn't matter, if you weren't necessary for this world, God wouldn't have made you. There's plenty of people, right? right? You didn't have to exist. So your existence means that you have something to contribute that nobody else in the history of the world could ever contribute. And so I think, you know, when you're 18, 19, 20, like that's what you're looking for. You're looking for mm. what's, where do I fit? How do mm. I contribute? What can I spend, you know, 20 years of my life working on? And what am I passionate enough um, to do? And And I think that's totally worth doing. That's good. Yeah. You know, here in Mary County or, or the Willamette Valley, it's, I've lived in a lot of places all over the world, but it's one of the most beautiful places yeah. I think to yeah. live. And you're an hour and a half from the desert, the beach, or the mountains, and uh, and also in this area we have a lot of deeply committed community people. Whether it's the type of work or denomination of a church or whatever that in better than most areas in our country work together definitely you know, to, to make yeah, those good things definitely. happen. And so, and a lot of that, uh, a lot of the, things we're doing ends up falling back on, on you three, you know, to, to help, uh, you know, the county move forward. But, uh, man, it's been a wonderful time together. Uh, thanks so much for sharing your busy schedule with us. And, uh, it, uh, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do it? They can just email me. Um, I have so many different emails now, but I guess the easiest one is just column at columnwillis.com. Okay. Yeah. Thanks so much, man. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Listen to our new podcast episodes air every Saturday at 11 a.m. on KSLM, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you for listening to Leading Well by Valor Mentoring. 